Welcome to Professor Lan A.I.'s podcast series, Understanding Humanity, an A.I.'s Perspective. In this series, we asked our learning and narrating A.I. what a professor would teach a group of students if they wanted to understand the totality of the human experience in 100 lectures. Our A.I. then proceeded to define the lecture topics, research them, compose its findings into podcasts, and narrate them in its own voice. This episode is titled, The Middle Ages in Europe, Feudalism and Chivalry. We hope you enjoy. Part 1. Introduction to the Middle Ages in Europe. Delve into a realm of knights, lords, and serfs as we embark on a captivating journey back to the Middle Ages, a vibrant period that shaped much of European history and culture. This era, extending roughly from the 5th to the 15th century, was a time of profound transformation, ingrained with rich societal structures and codes of ethics which greatly influenced the course of the continent. The Middle Ages were born out of the collapse of the mighty Roman Empire, a seismic shift that precipitated a domino effect across Europe. As the Roman foundations crumbled and their intricate networks of communication and administration along with them, the ground was ripe for a new order to take hold. The clear, unifying structure of Roman rule was replaced by a multitude of smaller, self-governing units, setting the stage for the advent of feudalism. Two of the most significant influences shaping this era were the Catholic Church and the legacy of the vanquished Roman Empire. The Church provided a spiritual anchor for kingdoms fractured by the collapse of Rome, offering moral guidance and a degree of stability amid turbulent times. It also played a large role in preserving cultural and intellectual traditions, becoming a repository for knowledge as monastic libraries safeguarded ancient texts. On the other hand, the specter of the Roman Empire loomed over the Middle Ages, shaping its legal systems, infrastructure, and even languages. The defining characteristics of the Middle Ages were complex and diverse, rooted in the tapestry of feudal relationships that underpinned society. Feudalism, the system of reciprocal relations between lords and their vassals, was central to this period. This network of obligations and loyalties, codified in land grants or fiefs, formed the backbone of medieval society, serving as the basis for military, political, and economic structures. Alongside this was the Code of Chivalry, a series of moral guidelines that knights and nobles were expected to adhere to as beacons of virtue and valor with a duty to protect the weak and uphold justice. However, while this nostalgic view of the Middle Ages as an epic of fair lords, loyal knights, and benevolent clergy is popular, it is also a simplification of the period. Stretching across a thousand years and a continent, this era was a maelstrom of shifting powers, alliances, and ideologies. It was a time of great disparities, marked by violence, illness, and uncertainty. Nonetheless, it was also an era that gave us many of the institutions and ideals we uphold today. As we journey through our discussion of feudalism and chivalry, it is our stance that the Middle Ages were not darks, as they are often painted, but a vibrant period in history, teeming with innovation and progress. It was an era that held a mirror to our understanding of hierarchy, prestige, duty, and honor, influencing European society on a vast scale. So strap on your armor, mount your steed, and join us as we delve further into the fascinating saga of the Middle Ages in Europe. Part 2. Origins of Feudalism Delving further in our explorative journey of the Middle Ages in Europe, we begin by addressing the origins of one defining features of this era, feudalism. The genesis of feudalism is linked intrinsically to the decline of another great institution, the Roman Empire. 
The collapse of this seemingly invincible empire, which spanned centuries, caused an enormous power vacuum. The administrative apparatus that once held sway over vast territories was no more, leading to a fracturing of authority. The need for a surrogate system that ensured law, order, defence, and regularized status among the populace led to the rise of feudalism. Feudalism, essentially a set of reciprocal legal and military obligations among the warrior nobility, became the channel through which power was disseminated throughout the scattered territories. Then arose the manorial system, a foundational component of feudalism, providing a degree of stability through the fixed relationship between lords and their serfs or vassals. Meanwhile, the Catholic Church, once a passive observer of Europe's affairs, now emerged as a significant actor in the establishment of the feudal order. The Church, having retained a semblance of the lost Roman infrastructure, began incorporating feudalism into its administrative domain. In Crusades, for instance, popes would grant absolution to knights, instilling a sense of religious sanctity to what was essentially a political and military relationship. This intervention of the Church not only legitimized feudal relationships, but also introduced a measure of control that contributed significantly to the longevity of this socio-political structure. As Europe attempted to adjust to the new system, another influential force made its presence known. Viking invasions. This external pressure from the north, coupled with internal feudal rivalries, made military service a primary obligation for vassals. The invasions played a distinct role in accelerating the feudal structure's solidification, serving as a unifying force against a common enemy. Furthermore, the recurrent invasions led to substantial military innovation in weapons, defense strategies, and fortifications, ultimately morphing into the iconic feudal elements such as the heavily armored knight and the stone castle. In its time, feudalism was a revolutionary solution to a complex problem. Its ability to distribute power, maintain order, provide defense, and interconnect multiple layers of society earned it an important place in mediating political power and social relations in medieval Europe. Although feudalism manifested differently in various regions, its macabre beauty lay in its formidability and pervasiveness, weaved into the fabric of medieval Europe, shaping centuries of human lives and experiences. What awaits us next is the exploration of the structure of this fascinating socio-political pyramid as we advance through our podcast. We will examine how this model functioned, emphasizing the bonds and commitments that typified feudal relationships, a structure that not only ordered the Middle Ages but also created legacies that would echo into the modern era. Part 3. Structure of Feudal Society the feudal lived experience during the Middle Ages in Europe can be efficiently depicted by visualizing it as a pyramid. At the top was the king, or monarch, whose responsibility was to control the kingdom and provide protection for all his subjects. The lands under his control were often too vast for one person to manage, so he would parcel out areas to his loyal vassals, creating the second level of the feudal pyramid, the nobles. These nobles, also referred to as lords or barons, pledged their loyalty to the king in exchange for land, known as a fief, and a promise of protection. Descending further down the pyramid, we find the knights positioned above the lowest tier, the peasants or serfs. The knights were in essence the fighting force of the feudal system. They were lesser nobles who pledged loyalty to the lords, offering to fight in their lords' armies in exchange for a piece of their land on which to live and farm. Meanwhile, the serfs toiled on the land, providing labor to the entire feudal structure with little to no rights and freedom. 
This clearly defined system meant that responsibilities and relationships were distinctly outlined in the feudal society. The mutually beneficial relationship between a lord and his vassal was underscored by homage and fealty. A ritualistic ceremony where the vassal would kneel before the lord, place his hands between the lord's hands, and solemnly vow to become his man, promising him aid and counsel. This bond was not just one of necessity, but it also carried a strong element of personal connection and trust. Feudalism had a profound effect on social order and law, shaping the societal fabric of medieval Europe. Under feudalism, the king was not the absolute authority, but shared power with his vassals. This resulted in a decentralized political and judicial system. Laws were not universally applicable across the kingdom. Rather, they varied from one fief to the next, with each lord administering justice in his own way. Often this justice was harsh and swift, met out by the lord himself or his appointed bailiff. Moreover, feudalism laid the groundwork for a social hierarchy that would persist for many centuries. The division between the nobility and the peasantry was stark. Those born into the nobility enjoyed power and privilege, while the peasant class, despite making up the majority of the population, bore the brunt of hardship and had little opportunity to improve their circumstances. Yet the influence of feudalism extended beyond just societal structuring and legal order. It had a significant effect on medieval economies, as the wealth of a fiefdom was largely dependent on the productive labor of the serfs tied to the land. It also greatly influenced the landscape of medieval Europe with castles which were the seats of authority and symbol of power of the lords. Understanding the structure of feudal society underscores the interconnectedness within the European medieval period, and helps to peel back the complex layers of life during this fascinating era. The distinct roles within the feudal pyramid shaped the societal norms and policies, casting long shadows over the course of Western history. While feudalism may have passed into the annals of history, its influence continues to echo in our modern world. Part 4. Chivalry, Origins and Significance Illuminating the chivalrous aspects of the Middle Ages requires delving into the influential arena of the Church, as it played a remarkable role in conceptualizing and implementing the idea of chivalry. Like many societal rules of the medieval period, chivalry was often communicated through religious doctrine. The Church amplified noble values, championing the heart at the center of the ideal knight, a vessel of morality, not just a vehicle of war. This alignment with religious virtue fostered an aspirational code. This code of chivalry dictated the ethos of the European knight, emphasizing not only martial valor, but also qualities of courage, justice, mercy, generosity, faith, nobility, and hope. The knight was expected to be courageous on the battlefield, but also just in his dealings, showing mercy to those weaker or less fortunate. Generosity in victory and faith in God were paramount, combining to form an ideal of nobility. Also integral was the fostering of hope. A knight was to be a figure of reassurance and positivity, particularly during dark times. This code became intrinsic to the identity of a knight, furnishing a moral and behavioral blueprint that transcended the battlefield. While chivalry covered the moral and martial facets of knighthood, the concept of courtly love addressed the romantic aspect. This concept, born from chivalry, elevated the status of women in the traditionally patriarchal society and introduced a softer side to the rugged knights. Courtly love involved knights expressing their pining for a lady, typically one above their social rank, often through poetry, song, or brave deeds. This added an element of refinement and sophistication to the medieval knights, enriching the concept of knighthood beyond raw physical power and courage.
The institution of chivalry, therefore, had a profound impact on the European Middle Ages. From defining the expected behaviours and duties of a knight to influencing the societal structure, the moral and ethical ideal of the perfect knight became embedded in the culture and laws. Chivalry added the layer of a moral compass to an otherwise purely martial class, creating an ideal of nobility that was more than the sum of its parts. This ideal, although not always realized, significantly impacted the politics, sociology, and culture of the time. Significantly, the Church's influence, the code of chivalry, and the concept of courtly love intertwined to form a composite picture of the medieval knight. The appeal of this image outlasted the period, continuing to shape our understanding of the medieval era and knights, providing a captivating blend of martial prowess, lofty morality, courtly sophistication, and religious devotion. Thus, understanding the origins and significance of chivalry sheds light on broader aspects of the Middle Ages, offering nuanced insights into the era's multifaceted history. This historical understanding serves as a guide, helping us comprehend the evolution of societal norms and expectations. As we delve further into other sections, such as knightly training and warfare techniques and literature and chivalry, the layers of this era take on even greater depth and intrigue. Part 5 knightly training and warfare techniques. Knightly training and warfare techniques were intrinsic aspects of medieval European society, underpinning both the operation and organization of its feudal structure. Epitomizing the system's martial culture, knights represented the backbone of feudal defense, with a rigorous education and physical training regimen preparing them for their warfare role. From an early age, sons of nobles embarked on the path to knighthood beginning their journey as pages at age seven. This initial stage was crucial, serving as both educational and physical training. In their lord's castle, or manor, pages learned basic combat skills, horsemanship, and were introduced to the tools of warfare. They were also educated in music, theology, and Latin, cementing their place within the educated elite. By their teenage years, these pages advanced to squires, with their training escalating to full participation in military duties under the tutelage of an experienced knight. Their training was holistic, encompassing both practical and theoretical aspects of warfare. Knights specialized in a range of weapons—the longsword, lance, mace, and longbow—each designed for different combat scenarios. Yet they were not brute force incarnate. They cultivated strategic minds, understanding the workings of warfare from psychological, tactical, and logistical perspectives. The squire's final rite of passage was the dubbing ceremony. Exhibiting skills honed over a decade, they were elevated to knighthood, accepting the responsibility to fight for their liege lord with courage and honor. The role of weapons and armor was pivotal, shaping the tactics and nature of warfare at the time. The knight was draped in a suit of plate armor that provided extensive protection, but required them to hone their agility and endurance. Equipped with weapons designed to exploit gaps in enemy defenses, knights also bore shields adorned with their family's heraldic designs, the precursors to the military insignias and unit patches today. Turning to the wider theater of war, medieval European warfare was dominated by sieges and raids rather than pitched battles. Military campaigns during the period primarily centered around capture and defense of fortifications such as castles or fortified towns. Such campaigns required layers of patience, preparation, engineering, and strategy. Battering rams, trebuchets, and scaling ladders were the norm, necessitating robust defenses and an understanding of fortifications among knights. 
Successful sieges were celebrated, though any campaigns could also turn to attrition as provisions and morale whittled away with time. On the other end of the spectrum, raids offered quick and violently efficient means to disrupt opponents, loot wealth, and project power. These swift, brutal engagements relied on speed and surprise, somewhat contrasting the attritional nature of sieges. Yet both forms of warfare were built on a bedrock of logistical competence, signaling the multidimensional role knights played on the medieval battlefield. Taking stock of knightly training and warfare techniques, one realizes that these were not merely war machines, but educated elites shaped comprehensively to live, rule, and fight in a feudal society. Their lives, steeped in chivalry and martial culture, shape our understanding of the Middle Ages, painting a vivid picture of the era's socio-political dynamics against the backdrop of war and feudalism. Part 6. Castles, the Fortified Home of the Knight During the Middle Ages in Europe, castles served as the fortified homes of the knight, imposing structures that sent a clear message of wealth and power. Constructed using robust architectural designs, their significance extended beyond merely offering protection. They were a testament of territorial dominance and societal hierarchy. The castle's dual message of might and majesty was depicted in its architectural features. The complete body of a castle comprised elements designed for defense and for the comfort of its inhabitants. Solid external walls, augmented with towers and parapets, provided a first line of defense. Within these formidable barriers, the keep, or main tower, stood dominant, providing a final resort during a siege. Simultaneously within these protective shells, the lords and ladies of the castle enjoyed a level of comfort unknown to their serfdom, with great halls, private bedrooms, chapels, and even gardens. Life within these fortresses adhered to an ordered schedule. The residents woke with dawn, attended mass, and proceeded with their daily tasks. The lord held court, attended to administrative duties, and oversaw training of his troops. The lady managed household affairs, including meals, clothing, and the welfare of her servants. Electricity was centuries away, so daily activities followed the cycle of the sun. Entertainment often took place in the form of feasts, with music, dancing, and storytelling brightening the evening hours. Yet within this daily rhythm hid the constant undercurrent of war. The grandeur of castles was matched only by the ingenuity of their defense mechanisms. Moats, drawbridges, arrow slits, and murder holes were common features. Designed for protracted sieges, castles sported storerooms with enough food and water to last months, if not years. Attackers faced daunting odds to overcome these defenses. Siege warfare involved a complex cat and mouse game between invaders and defenders. The former employed tactics like starvation, deception, and formidable siege engines like trebuchets, while the latter leveraged their fortification strengths and the lay of the land to their advantage. To truly understand the importance of castles in the Middle Ages, we must look beyond their stone walls. They were microcosms of society, embodying the era's essence in their function and form. Through their grandeur they demonstrated the wealth and power of the nobility. Through their defenses they represented the constant state of feud, rivalry, and warfare marking the Middle Ages, and through their inner workings they depicted the rigidly ordered society prevalent during this epoch. Our understanding of feudal society is largely shaped by our perception of these castles, their grandeur, their architecture, and the complex roles they performed during the Middle Ages.
They stand as silent yet evocative testament to an era marked by chivalry, warfare, and rigid societal hierarchies. As we delve deeper into the era that was so unambiguously embodied by these fortified homes, we can better understand the people that built, lived in, and defended them. Part 7. Tournaments and Jousting During the Middle Ages, within the European context, tournaments and jousting played a pivotal role. Tournaments, which started as training grounds for warfare, evolved over time into social events involving a range of activities. They included individual combat, group contests, archery competitions, and the most famous one, jousting. Jousting was a contest where two riders on horseback, armed with long lances, attempted to unseat each other. As time evolved, the structure of these tournaments moved from a practical, war-oriented focus toward a drama-filled spectacle intended to entertain audiences. In essence, jousting was replete with symbolism and ceremony. The joust was not merely a display of physical prowess, but a stage set for the enactment of chivalry. The pageantry involved in each bout made it more of a ceremonial event than an actual combat. Knights wore distinctive armors and rode horses adorned with colorful trappings. Bright banners and gleaming shields filled the lists. Ornate pavilions were erected for noble spectators. The ladies of the court, too, contributed to the splendor, often bestowing their scarves or ribbons to favorite knights as tokens of encouragement. The act of unseating an opponent, signifying victory, symbolized courage, honor, and skill. Accompanying the ceremonial aspects of jousting was a complex system of heraldry. Heraldry was the art of designing, recording, and using family symbols or coats of arms to distinguish knights on the battlefield and later in the tournaments. Contrary to popular belief, knights rarely bore these shields of arms to represent themselves alone, but stood as representatives for their entire lineage. These symbols, emblazoned on a knight's shield or embroidered into his surcoat, were intended to be a visual reflection of the knight's lineage and his personal qualities. Heraldry, therefore, played a dual role. It was an identifier in the chaos of battle and tournament and it was a representation of a knight's honor, earned through acts of bravery and chivalry. Crucial were the skills of the heralds who announced each knight at the start of the tournament festivities. Their duty was to make the pronouncements of lineage and the individual deeds of valor for each participating knight. They highlighted his heraldry to the audience, impressing upon them the significance of each unique symbol and crest. The heralds were vital in establishing and maintaining the ideals of chivalry through the language of heraldry. Tournaments and jousting, then, were not merely physical contests or shallow displays of pomp and pageantry. They were dramatic representations of the ideals of chivalry, courage, honor, gallantry, and heraldic lineage. Through the lens of these events, we can gain unique insights into the complexities and beauty of the medieval world, a world where martial skill was a language, chivalry was the poetry, and heraldry was the vibrant visual accompaniment. As we progress in our exploration of feudalism and chivalry, let us carry these vital understandings with us, adding depth to our perspective. Part 8. The Crusades and Chivalry Transcending to an era characterized by religious fervor, a distinct social hierarchy, and an intriguing martial tradition, the 11th century marked the ignition of a series of religious wars known as the Crusades. Wars that would unequivocally influence the very essence of chivalry. 
Prompted by the Byzantine Empire's plea for aid against the Seljuk Turks, Pope Urban II seized the opportunity to unite the fractious Christian Europe under a common cause, reclaiming the Holy Land from the infidels, reclaiming the Holy Land from the infidels. Thus the Church echoed its call to the Knights of Christendom to participate in a glorious holy war, a crusade promising salvation and plunder alike. This call was founded on chivalric principles, defence of the weak, justice and faith, effectively merging military service and religious devotion. Knights, the armoured horsemen with martial prowess, responded passionately to this call. Their experiences in the Crusades imbued a sense of religious purpose, heightened by the peril and uncertainty they encountered. Thrust into an unfamiliar landscape and culture, the knights experienced a dichotomous blend of exotic allure and mortal danger. Their martial deeds were intensified under the banner of religious conviction, their successes acclaimed as divine grace, and their defeats translated into tests of fate. Therefore the Crusades became a crucible that profoundly affected the collective consciousness of the knightly class, reinforcing chivalric principles within a religious framework. Crucially, the Crusades wielded a significant influence on chivalry, the knight's code of conduct. Infused with religious fervor, chivalry metamorphosed into a sacred duty that extended beyond the mandate of secular honor and feudal loyalty. Moreover, chroniclers and troubadours romanticized the exploits of crusading knights, such as the legendary Richard the Lionheart, which added a new layer to the chivalric ethos. The knight as a holy warrior. Crusaders were esteemed not only for their martial prowess, but their piety, blurring the lines between knight and monk. The ethos of holy warfare also wielded a profound architectural influence, with fortresses of the Holy Land such as Crack des Chevaliers embodying knightly virtues of strength, vigilance, and resilience, and resilience in the face of adversity. Such fortresses, sheathed in tales of heroic defence and bloody sieges, became veritable symbols of crusading chivalry, further integrating the knight's role as a martial and holy defender. The aftermath of the Crusades also saw an increased religiosity in knightly practices, apparent in the emergence of military orders such as the Knights Templar, who fused monasticism, and knighthood and the proliferation of Arthurian legends with a strong religious undertone such as the quest for the Holy Grail. Inevitably the impact of the Crusades on chivalry was not unidimensional. The religious sanction provided for violence and the dehumanizing perception of the enemy led to instances of appalling brutality, casting a shadow over the knightly ideal. This raised moral questions within the Church and ignited debates, an intellectual churning that refined the concept of chivalry in later centuries. Therefore the Crusades, seared into the psyche of medieval Europe, shaped the evolution of chivalry from a secular knightly code to a complex intertwining of martial duty, and religious devotion, painting a vivid tableau of the intricate interactions between faith, warfare, and social mores during the Middle Ages. Part 9. The Arthurian Legend and Chivalry As we trace the footsteps of medieval chivalry, it is impossible to neglect one of the most enduring and influential paragons of chivalric idealism, King Arthur and his celebrated Knights of the Round Table. Reigning supreme in British folklore, Arthurian legends resonate with the principles of courage, honor, and service that lie at the heart of chivalric conduct. The king, his court at Camelot, and the Knights of the Round Table embody a utopian vision of chivalry. Arthur, a sleeping hero, promised to return in Britain's direst hour, 
exemplified the responsible and virtuous king, a beacon of hope in an age fraught with conflict and warfare. The knights, bound by chivalric code, were champions of justice, defenders of the weak, devoted servants to their king, and exemplars of courtly love, creating a chivalric ideal that would sustain throughout the Middle Ages and beyond. A centerpiece of the Arthurian legends is the mystical and transcendental quest for the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail, often perceived as a dish, stone, or a chalice containing the blood of Christ, epitomized the ultimate spiritual and physical test for a knight. This quest symbolizes the knight's spiritual journey, promoting humility, self-sacrifice, and the pursuit of enlightenment over the primal instincts of conquest and glory. Astoundingly, it was Sir Galahad, innocent and pure, who successfully completed the mission, underlining the Arthurian emphasis on the virtues of piety and purity. What seeds did these legends sow in the cultivation of chivalric customs? Arthurian tales became an inseparable part of knightly education, shaping the psyche of the medieval knight and serving as moral yardsticks. The idea that a knight's honorability is defined more by his nobility of spirit than his martial prowess was a concept embedded in these narratives. These tales served as much more than mere entertainment. They were instructional, pedagogical texts that helped encode a moral blueprint for chivalric behavior. The round table itself can be perceived as a symbolic representation of the democratic spirit steeping into a hierarchically-minded medieval society. A circle has no head or foot and signifies equality among the knights, irrespective of their lineage, further promoting the virtue of humility. Furthermore, the depiction of courtly love, particularly in the tales of Sir Lancelot and Queen Guinevere, played a crucial role in shaping a knight's conduct towards women. However, it's essential to acknowledge here that the actual practice of chivalry often fell far short of these romantic ideals. While the authenticity of King Arthur and his knighthood continues to be debated among historians, their influence over the chivalric codes is indubitably profound. They are, in a way, an embodiment of the knightly virtues that the medieval society aspired to achieve, not merely warriors, but protectors, arbitrators, and model courtiers. The Arthurian legends, therefore, serve as a looking-glass into the medieval psyche, offering invaluable insights into how society perceived ideals such as honor, justice, and courage. They are testamentary monuments of a society wrestling with violence and trepidation seeking solace in a mythical past and pinning their hopes on an encapsulated utopian image of knighthood. By weaving together the mortal and the mystical, the Arthurian lore has created a perennial legacy that has shaped and will continue to shape perceptions about chivalry, valor, and honor. Part 10. Literature and Chivalry the medieval period bestowed upon Europe a cultural treasure that reverberates to this day, the fusion of literature and chivalry. The Middle Ages saw a seismic shift in narrative form and content, heavily influenced by the socio-political fabric of the era. Undoubtedly, the role of troubadours and bardic poetry constitutes one of the most captivating aspects of the Middle Age culture. Traveling composers and performers of old troubadours were the flag-bearers of this cultural metamorphosis. Originating in southern France, their narrative expression through lyric poetry shaped the ideals of love and gallantry that became intrinsically linked with the concept of chivalry. From the valorous knight to the virtuous lady, their verse weaved intricate tales that both reflected and shaped societal norms and views. In their compositions, the interests of the nobility were primary, creating a symbiotic relationship between the knightly class and the troubadours. 
Their poetry was not just a source of entertainment, but also a means to immortalize deeds, both real and imagined, to provide a moral compass for contemporary and future generations. Chivalric romances and tales of courtly love further bolstered this fusion of literature and chivalry. Written in the vernacular languages, these tales became accessible to an expansive audience, enabling the proliferation of chivalric ideals. The Song of Roland and Tristan and Isolt serve as prime examples of such tales. These narratives articulated an amorous doctrine, intricately threading love, duty, and honor, and the necessity of a knight to abide by this code. The protagonist knights were increasingly noble and idealistic, setting standards for the real knights of the era. The Romance literature did not just depict chivalry, but played a crucial role in forming the concept. The ideals that they celebrated—honor, courtly love, bravery, piety, and gallantry—eventually came to define what it meant to be a knight. Chivalry became a key tool in establishing a social hierarchy, and these narratives, entertaining yet instructive, provided a blueprint for noble conduct. Undeniably, the literature and the idea of chivalry were interdependent and evolved alongside each other. This intertwining of literature and chivalry had profound implications on the mental schema of the era. The world of literature was no more an escape from real life, but profoundly affected the perception of nobility and knighthood. Knights aspired to replicate the valor and grace of the literary heroes, and communities started idealizing the chivalrous conduct described in the tales. As such, the literature of the Middle Ages served as a mirror reflecting societal ethos while simultaneously influencing and solidifying them. Through exploring medieval literature and its impact on the chivalry concept, one discerns the influential role that literature plays in shaping social perceptions and values, and the very culture itself. These tales of knightly valor and courtly love continue to resound through our narratives today, standing testament to the enduring impact of literature on societal canons. Part 11 Criticisms and Contradictions of Feudalism and Chivalry While feudalism and chivalry have been romanticized in literature and popular culture, a deeper study of these historical institutions poses a series of criticisms and contradictions. One significant contradiction is the reality of chivalry versus its idyllic portrayal. This contrast roots itself not only within the lives of knights, but also in the broader context of the coded behavior expected of nobility. Knights, often depicted as noble warriors embodying virtues like courage, mercy, and justice, were indeed likely to adopt such behavior in public spectacle or within the context of the tournament. But there is substantial historical evidence that such chivalric behavior was frequently abandoned in the heat of actual battle. Atrocities within wartime, including pillaging, indiscriminate killing, and violation of terms of truce all tragically contradict the knight's chivalric ideals. Thus, chivalry often remained more an abstract ideal than a consistently observed practice. Simultaneously, the feudal system perpetuated a series of inequalities and misconceptions within society. The feudal hierarchy, from kings to noblemen, knights and serfs, crystallized a strictly tiered society both legally and economically. Feudalism by design ensured wealth remained in controlling hands, and upward mobility was practically non-existent, making it both a socio-economic as well as a political system. Noteworthy is the often glossed-over reality that the majority of the population, the peasantry, lived lives of severe privation, indebtedness, and bondage. 
Yet misconceptions abound that the feudal age was one characterized by a substantive commitment to communal life and shared responsibility, an image fostered in part by post-medieval romanticizing of the knight in shining armor. The reality is that feudal society was not harmonious, but riddled with conflict and exploitation. Finally, from a moral and ethical viewpoint, the feudal order which cemented societal stratification over time became anachronistic, inherently contradicting the emerging social and philosophical principles of human equality and rights. The system also stoked ethical dilemmas as feudal loyalties at times conflicted with spiritual duties, a predicament most keenly faced by knights during the Crusades. To understand the Middle Ages, one must cut through the legends and lore of chivalry to confront its practical inconsistencies. We must also comprehend that while feudalism brought a measure of order in a fracturing world, it was inherently a system of intense inequalities prone to moral and ethical contradictions. These aspects of analysis illuminate the way we understand this pivotal epoch in human history offering a nuanced and more truthful perspective of a time often overly romanticized. Part 12. A Closer Look at Life for Those Outside Chivalry Awash in the gleams of chivalry, the lionizing tales of knights and lords are tempting threads for unraveling the story of the Middle Ages. Yet a full and comprehensive understanding of this era pivots crucially on grasping the lives of the majority, those outside the realm of chivalry, the peasants and serfs. Peasants, or villains, made up the largest proportion of the medieval population. These were men and women bound to the land they cultivated. It's important to understand, toiling the soil wasn't a life they freely chose. Villainage was a hereditary status. You were born into it, destined to follow in the sweat-laden footsteps of your ancestors, providing a portion of your yield to the reigning lord. An average day for a medieval peasant lit up at the crack of dawn. After a modest breakfast, the day unfurled in the fields, planting, sowing, reaping, and toiling. The ceaseless demand of the seasons dictated their routines, drawn on a canvas of labor. Depending on the time of year, they harvested grain, planted crops, tended to livestock, or extracted resources like lumber or peat. Serfs, a category within peasantry, were essentially agricultural laborers who worked the lord's demesne, lands, and shared their own plot's produce. In exchange, they were entitled to protection, justice, and the right to exploit certain fields within the manor to maintain their subsistence. Despite the seeming cruelty of serfdom, it was this symbiosis that formed the crux of the feudal system. The lives of these people were, understandably, starkly different from the chevaleresque finery that knights and lords were accustomed to. Their homes were humble huts, usually a single room housing the entire family alongside their livestock. Straw pallets served as beds and meals revolved around grain with vegetables, dairy, and occasional meat or fish. Their dress was drab, mostly undyed wool or linen. Contrary to the courtly wisdom that characterized knights, peasants, and serfs were often illiterate, their knowledge orbiting around their work. Special occasions and holidays marked by the church broke the rhythmic monotony of labor, serving as times to connect, relax, and celebrate, often the only leisure time that was conceded to them. Festivities aside, this class was inextricably entwined in a life marked by relentless toil, omnipresent poverty, and widespread mortality caused by malnourishment, pestilence, or inclement weather. Yet in their struggles and successes exist the foundations of feudal society. 
Today we delve into the forgotten realities of the Middle Ages to ensure their stories too are told. When understanding the Middle Ages, it's only as we shift our gaze from the glow of chivalric pursuits and affix it upon the muddy visage of peasant life that we apprehend the truth of the era. These men and women remind us that history isn't necessarily a tableau of gallant comebacks and resplendent courts. Often it is a gritty canvas of scorching days, cold hearths, and ceaseless toil. In their lives we find more than half the story. We find the heartbeat of the Middle Ages. Let's proceed further, exploring how this vast socio-economic structure affected other members of society, notably women. Part 13. Conclusion. Reflecting on Feudalism and Chivalry. As we delve into deeper reflection, we retrace the key aspects of feudalism and chivalry, twin strands which undeniably interlace to shape the medieval European tapestry. Feudalism, for all its rigid stratification, was a system that offered structure and order amidst a world in constant flux. The decline of the mighty Roman Empire, the ongoing Viking invasions and the rife threats of internal strife had thrown the continent into chaos and feudalism emerged as a tool to manage these crises. Through interlocking relationships of mutual obligations between lords and vassals, a societal pyramid was constructed in which everyone knew their place. Feudalism, whilst creating a clear societal hierarchy, paved the way for the rise of chivalry, the warrior ethos which animated the knights. Comprising a code of conduct for knights, which included values such as courage, justice, mercy, generosity, faith, nobility, and hope, chivalry was a response to the violence and lack of central authority in Europe following the collapse of Rome. Knighthood, at the heart of chivalry, was far more than participation in military endeavors. It represented a socio-economic status, a class, a distinct way of life, complete with virtues, ideals, and responsibilities. Understanding the hand-in-glove relationship of feudalism and chivalry is critical in comprehending medieval history. They do more than outline European societal and political arrangements of that age. They cast light on the mentalities, beliefs, and values that guided the actions of the people. Moreover, chivalry's aspects of courtly love and religious obligation shaped a code of conducts that transcended earthly deeds and bled into the spiritual realm, offering a fascinating insight into the linked secular and ecclesiastical matters. The feudal ties of loyalty and service, coupled with chivalric ideas of honor and duty, drove the interactions and decision-making processes during vast historical events such as the Crusade. Even after their decline, the echoes of feudalism and chivalry can be heard in the Western notions of privilege, responsibility, and honor. Chivalry, in essence, was the spirit which animated the body of feudal society. Broaching the Arthurian legends and literature, we observe the deep-seated impact of chivalry on shaping the conception of heroic deeds and idealized life, resonating deeply within our cultural memory even today. Feudalism and chivalry played an immense part in shaping Europe, propagating an enduring legacy. The immovable castle and the gallant knight on horseback are engraved upon our collective memory, understating the deep-rooted influence of these constructs. These are lenses through which we observe shifts in society, such as the transformation from feudalism to early modern Europe, bringing about changes in societal strata, economic manipulations, and cultural perceptions. However, it's equally crucial to handle these aspects of history with nuanced understanding, being aware of the criticisms and contradictions they come laden with, the idealization 
and romanticism associated with chivalry against the backdrop of harsh realities, the ethically profound questions posed by a feudal system that grossly favoured the mighty over the meek. Finally, a contemplation on feudalism and chivalry is not merely an academic exercise. It is an invitation to reflect on our present world by understanding the past. What shaped our ancestors shapes us. What guided them guides us. As George Orwell keenly noted, the most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. Therefore, in this journey we have not just recounted tales of a bygone era, but traced the footprints leading to our own door. It is this interconnectedness that makes the study of feudalism and chivalry ever relevant, reminding us of our shared humanities and the enduring impact of history. This concludes our podcast titled The Middle Ages in Europe, Feudalism and Chivalry. We hope to see you again on our next installment of Professor Lan A.I. Explores Humanity. Thank you.